the stew, right? Actually, don't slap so much. Uh, yeah, uh, Stuart, actually. Alright, well, why don't you have a seat? Thank you. I have exactly 46 minutes, 27 seconds. Go. We're done. Just one more here. You're really gonna take that? Yes, I, I'm very important. Just, just a moment. No, no, no. You, you have to do things the way I'd like you to do them. There's a reason for that. Don't touch anything until I get there. Okay. Okay? Alright, no. Don't touch anything until I get there. Okay, thank you. Bye. Uh, please continue. Well, okay, so you had to take that right then? Alright. After searching, I found these glasses that I think that if you try them on and you keep them, they're really going to change your world. These? Yeah, these glasses right here. They look really fuzzy. Stress me, try Where are these made? Welcome to the well here at STSA. So glad that you're tuning in with us here this morning as we are continuing our series. I thought it was just me. We are talking about a subject that nobody likes to talk about, but a subject that we all know quite well about because we are talking, as Joe said earlier, about insecurity. All right, and we're talking about the feeling that we all know, no matter how much, how little we like to admit it, we all know the feeling of not enough. Not good enough, not smart enough, not pretty enough, not talented enough, not successful enough, not enough of whatever it may be that we're trying to get to. And what we said in the first week is that insecurity, if you want a simple definition for what your insecurity is, because we all have insecurity, it's the gap. It's the gap between who I am and who I want to be in whatever area, relationally, career, financially, whatever area, spiritually, between who I am and who I want to be or who I feel like I need to be at this moment in time in this particular circumstance. And what we agreed upon in the beginning is that gap, that insecurity. If you want to know what that is specifically for you, if you go to the root of the unexplainables in your life, the things that you can't explain, that you don't have a reason for, that you don't know why you won't, or you don't know why you can't stop, or you don't know why you always lose it with, Nine out of ten times, you go to the root of that, and the root is some kind of insecurity where you, where you feel like you don't measure up in that area. You don't feel good about yourself, and we all know when we don't feel good about ourselves, and someone else is going to bear the brunt of that in that area. Last week, we talked about comparison, and we saw one of the reasons why we feel so insecure is because we fall into this comparison trap, and we fall into, we often visit the land of er, where I want to be rich or smart or talented or spiritual or. We, we often live in this land of Ur where we feel like what we have is not sufficient. We want more, and we find ourselves comparing with someone else. Today, we're going to talk, talk about a topic that I personally know quite well. We're going to talk about my need for control. How many people in this room would say, I'm a control freak? Don't be shy. Raise it. That's good. Nice and strong. Very good. Control freak. Those of you who are raising your neighbor, great. Okay? Like that, you listen especially, okay? I'm going to convince you, I'm going to convince you, probably about, I don't know how many people raised their hand, let's say 60%, 70% of the people raised their hand, 50%. I'm going to convince you by the end of today that if I ask that same question again, 100% of the hands will go up. Because I truly believe with all my heart that every single one of us is a control freak in some area. As I was preparing this message, again, a lot of you know me, 
it'd be easy to give lots of examples about meat. Like this one where I need to not look outside for examples. Many people who are working with me on a day-to-day -day basis can understand this, okay? Because I got plenty of examples of my need for control. Whether it's on Sunday mornings when you come in and you see these chairs lined up nicely, well, they may have looked 98% like that when you walked in, but by the time I walked in, I adjusted each and every single one of them, okay? Because I like the chairs. I feel who can hear the Word of God? The Word of God cannot work when the chairs are not straight, okay? That's just a simple fact. I give examples, okay, and I'm sure my wife and children can give examples about whenever I come home from a long trip, whenever I come home, first thing, words out of my mouth is, who moved that? And I can instantly, instantly spot something that's been moved while I was gone. That's why even the expression that David used right there, which is, don't touch anything until I come home, I, I'm guilty of that one many times. But you know what? I even reached, in my wife's eyes, a new low for Control Freak recently. A new low. Some would say high, some would say low, depends how you look at it. I was with someone... As, long story short, I found out how much, this is not the best topic to talk about, but we're in light mode, okay? How much it costs for a funeral, okay? I was with someone, we were, it was the first time I realized how much a casket costs, and how much all these different things cost. And I came home and I told my wife this, look, when I die, you are getting the cheapest casket available. You are not letting them hoodwink you, and then this and that, and they're playing this and that. And she's like, don't talk about that, don't talk about that. So I said, the only way I'm not going to talk about this is if you agree to do exactly what I tell you. I said, I didn't live my whole life as a cheapskate and you spent all my money after I'm gone. So she was quick to point out that the control freak level that I've reached is that even after my own death, I want to be in control. But that would be too easy to talk about myself as a control freak. I'll talk about my wife. <laughs> Laid back Marianne. Easygoing Marianne, trusting in God, Marianne, the princess of peace, Marianne. Until you get to one particular subject. Her kids, her mom said it. Her kids. Michael was in gym class, my son. Talking with one of his friends, and some other kid just came, and just being a funny guy, and pushed this one kid's head into my son's head just messing around because that's what sixth grade boys do where they push each other in the head okay so he pushed and this kid's head slammed into my kid's head both kids were down and like called it and said like your kid may have a concussion or whatever it may be it turned out everything's fine okay but Marianne like four even four or five days after she'd wake up in bed and be like I'm angry I'm angry right now and I'm like what's wrong I'm angry at fill in the blank that kid's name I'm angry at that boy right now and she's like how can the school allow this how can the school allow just people to just randomly go and, and push people in the head Honestly, I thought she was going to call the police, okay? One time when Michael was in preschool and he started his first year of school ever, one kid, like, didn't share a toy with him or was mean to him on the playground. I thought that kid was going to need witness protection program, okay? <laughs> My wife. Because we're all control freak in some area, okay? What's your area? I don't know. Some people are control freak when it comes to their finances. And every single penny has to be accounted for. And you don't have a miscellaneous, and you don't believe in miscellaneous. Every penny has to be accounted for, has to go exactly to what you think it should go for. Some of us, ladies, you may think that you're very laid back, you're very easygoing at work, you're very easygoing with your friends, very easygoing with your kids, but may God help the man that tries to move an appliance in your kitchen. May God help the man who loads that dishwasher in the wrong way. Plates facing in, not out, gentlemen, in, not out. Men, lest we laugh at our wives. Show what makes you a control freak. You know what this is? 
This is a remote control. To you, it may not be a remote control. To, be, to you, it is your God-ordained duty and right to be in control of this at all times because you have a gift that no one else has. You have the gift to be able to watch 18 shows at the exact same time. And that's because you need to be in control of the remote. What is it that is your area of controlling? You may wonder, what does control have to do with insecurity? Well, it's a different kind of insecurity. It's not necessarily, I don't feel good, or I don't feel like I measure up, as much as it is a fear. A fear of losing control. A fear of the unknown. A fear of what is not in front of me right now. It's got to be something bad. So it's this feeling of the afraid and got to hold on to whatever it is. And I'm going to say this. Okay, This is the premise upon which our message here today is based. I'm going to say that the area you are trying to control the most is the area that you are trusting God the least. That's why this is not about a personality thing. This is not just like God made me a control freak. This is sometimes it gets to it's a spiritual thing. And the area that I am trying to control the most, maybe it's because I'm struggling to trust God in that area as well. I read an article from a magazine called Psychology Today. And it was talking about the fear of losing control. And I'll bring you some quotes from that article. It was by a doctor named Elliot D. Cohen. Okay, psychology Today. He says, talking about the fear of losing control. He says, this is the fear that if you don't manage to control the outcome of future events, something terrible will happen. We understand this, don't we? This is the fear that, you know what? If my kid, he just got a, 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 a D, Okay, he's in third grade, and he got a D in reading or in math. And you know what? If he doesn't get his grades up, he's not going to make it to whatever high school I want him to get to. He's not going to make it to whatever college. He's never going to have a good job. He's going to always have a, a bad job. He's never going to be able to get married. He's never going to be able to, to live. If, he, if I can't control this situation, he's going to live in my basement forever, play Xbox tournaments. That's going to be his professional job, an Xboxer. It's the fear that if I don't get this promotion now, because I think I should get this promotion now, if I don't get this promotion now, and so it's going to get this promotion, then I'll lose this career track, and then I'll never be able to get ahead. I'll never be able to get out of debt. I'll never be able to buy a new home. I'll never be able to retire. It's this fear that if I don't have full control over the situation, that for sure it's going to end up in a bad situation. It's the fear that if I don't take matters into my own hands, everything's going to fall apart goes on. The crux of the problem is the demand for certainty in a world that is always tentative and uncertain. It is precisely this unrealistic demand that creates the anxiety. You think that you must you think that you must accurately predict and manage the future, not just have some probabilistic and uncertain handle on it. What he's saying right there, or what he's saying is that there's a problem. Is you want control, but the world we live in is not controlled. So you end up with this stress and anxiety, this fear of trying to control something that by its nature is uncontrollable. If you're a perfectionist, you get this fully. This makes perfect sense to you. Because if you're a perfectionist, what your goal is, is to remove all variables. Remove variables from my kid's future. Control what activities he or she signs up for. Control who or she he's friends with. You know what, forget about them doing the science project. Let me just do it myself. Okay, make sure they get the grade that I want them. You try to remove the variables. You try to remove the variables in your relationship. Try to feel like, you know what, I can sit around and wait for Mr. Perfect to come along or wait for a godly guy, but I can't trust that if I wait, that if I don't have control, that the right thing is going to happen. So I got to take control by my, my own hands. And I got to make sure that I make the right thing happen. It's fear of losing control. 
And here's the thing, it becomes a vicious cycle. The more you're afraid to lose control, the more you try to control it, but the more you try to control it, the more you're afraid of losing control. Because it's all in your hands. It becomes a vicious cycle. Quote goes on. It is this contradiction between the demand for certainty and the reality of uncertainty that will continuously play out again and again without resolution unless you give up the demand for certainty. We're going to base the rest of our message upon, upon these principles. It's going to continuously play out again and again without resolution. You'll always struggle with this. You'll always be a victim of this unless you give up the demand for certainty. If you don't have to control the outcome, if you don't expect to predict with certainty what is by its nature uncertain, if you do not expect to solve a contradiction, then you are free to relax. Watch this. It is you who must concede. This is not a Christian. These are very Christian principles, but he's not a Christian guy. He's writing psychology today. It is you who must concede for reality won't give up its uncertainty for you. That's a great expression. Reality will not, the market will not give up its uncertainty for you. That your, your career will not give up its uncertainty for you. Relationships will not give up their uncertainty for you. It is you who must concede. It is not the problem on the outside. It is not the problem that everything else is uncertain. It is not the problem in everything around me. It is the problem in me. And I must learn how to concede, and we're going to see how that's a biblical principle, in order to be able to live freely and relax. Today we're going to look at a story of control gone bad. We're going to look at one of the greatest characters in all the scriptures. And if I told you this character's name, I'm going to say this character's name, and you're going to say, this is a model of trusting in God. A man and his wife who are examples of faith and trusting in God and surrendering everything to God. But maybe, maybe they had to learn that the hard way. We're talking about Abraham and Sarah. Abraham is the father of all nations. Abraham is the father of faith. We look at faith and we say, I want to be faith like Abraham. But did you know that faith, trusting in God, letting go of control, is not something that by its nature Abraham was good at? which is good news for me and you because by my nature and by your nature, I'm not good at it either. So it's very easy for me to say, you know what? That's just not my style. That's just not, I'm just not good at that. I, I, you know, that's not my gift to be able to give up. Well, Abraham proves to us that you can practice this and you can get good at this. And in fact, you must practice and you must get good at it because the consequences are pretty bad if you don't. One of the early stories in Abraham's life, which we won't read, but just to kind of set the stage, show you how Abraham, the very beginning of his life, their life, at least that we read about in the scripture, God tells Abraham, I need you to leave your land and go to another land. Abraham says, sure, you got it, God. Leave my family, leave my family. No problem, leave, that's no problem. And we say, Abraham, man of God, trusting in God. But what happened when Abraham got to that land? He got to that land, and he noticed that there was a famine in that land. So what did Abraham do? God said, I got you, I'm going to take care of you. But Abraham didn't trust. Abraham said, I got to take matters into my own hands. I got to get out of here. I got to go to a place called Egypt, because Egypt has got to be food. He took his wife, went with him to Egypt. When he got to Egypt, what happened? He said, oh, wait a minute. My wife is very pretty, and people are going to say that let's kill the, the, the dead weight so we can have her as our own wife, okay? Because clearly, I'm, 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 I'm replaceable, but she's not. So instead of trusting in God, man of faith, Abraham told his wife, you lie, I tell everyone you're my sister. So that way, they want you as their wife, they'll at least let me live. Bravo to the man of courage, Abraham. <laughs> Basically, threw his wife under the bus and said, you know what, if they take you to be their wife, that's okay, at least I'll get to live. Right, he didn't want to protect her. He didn't, he didn't say they might, he didn't do any of that stuff. He said, lie. So this is the man of faith that we're talking about right here. Man of trust. No, man who tried to control. But what I'm trying to show you is that every one of us by our nature, it can be a learned thing. It's something that we can get better at. And it's something that we must get better at. 
especially when we see the consequences of not. We're going to look at a story here from Genesis chapter 16, one of the most famous stories from Abraham's life. By this point in time, God had taken Abraham and taught him some of these lessons. And God said, Abraham, look here, Abraham. I'm going to make you, I like you. You're good. I'm going to make you a father of all my people. How's that sound? I'm going to make you father of many nations. Everyone's going to look back and say, Abraham is our father. You're going to have descendants like the stars of the sky, like the sand on the sea. You're going to have so many descendants, you're going to have no way to do with them. Abraham said, I'll take it. I trust you, God, and I believe you. But by the time that we pick up the story here in Genesis 16, time had started ticking. God told Abraham, I'll give you many children. So Abraham said, okay, ready, go. And he started waiting. And time is ticking. And time is ticking. And time is ticking. And no kids are coming. Not just time is ticking, but Sarah's biological clock is ticking too. Okay, and she ain't getting any younger. Okay, and her, you know, reproductive system is saying, come on now. Okay, we just said stuff doesn't work till all ages. And the time is ticking. Time is ticking. We pick up the story there in Genesis chapter 16 in verse 1 when Abraham says, I need to take matters into my own hands. Now Sarah, her, her name is Sarah and Abram, but God eventually changed the name to Sarah and Abraham. So that's fine. Don't worry about it. Now Sarah... Abram's wife had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. You know, this is not going to end good. So Sarai said to Abram, Aha, I have an idea. See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. Sarah comes up with a plan. I got this. God, you're going to give us children. So we are going to wait. You got first dibs at it. Okay, my turn. Because I gave you a couple years. And you didn't do it. And you know what? Um, I'm sure that you don't want this, but you gave me a brain, and my brain tells me to do this, so therefore, this must be from you. And Sarah comes up with a plan. Oh, Hagar, please come here for a moment. And while it's easy for us to blame Sarah, and saying that she wasn't trusting God. Of course, Abraham wasn't kicking and screaming. Say, Abraham, in his mind, was like, okay, duty calls. Man's got to do what a man's got to do. So Abraham goes in to Hagar. Now, easy for us, very hypocritical for us, very hypocritical for us to sit here and just blame Abraham and Sarah. Extremely hypocritical. Say, you should have trusted God. You shouldn't take matters in your own hands. Very easy for us because we say, you know what? I'm never going to sleep with my wife's maidservant named Hagar, okay? So yes, most likely you will never do that. Most likely you're, you don't have a servant, and if she was, she wouldn't be named Hagar. But, that, but maybe you're single, and you want to get married. And God wants you to get married. But the clock is ticking. And as the clock ticks, you are tempted to take matters into your own hands. You've always said, that you are not going to marry someone unless that person loves God the same way you love God. Like, I love Jesus. I need someone who loves Jesus just as much. I love Jesus. Jesus, number one, marry someone who loves Jesus. But as time goes on, you may be tempted to take matters into your own hands and manipulate the rules a little bit. So he loves Jesus, but this is what I hear all the time. He's just going through a rough time now. Rough time right now. Does that mean like since the year 2000, rough time? Okay. I know I said I want someone who loved Jesus, but you know what? He's just struggling right now. I know I said someone who loves Jesus, but like Jesus had a beard. He's got a beard. Like, isn't that close enough? 
financially. You know what God says about tithing. You know what God says about materialism. Like, you know it. It's as plain as day. It says very clearly, he who does not tithe is stealing from God. You know it. You don't need anyone to tell you. That's why we never preach about it here, because you know it. But maybe you attempt to take matters in your own hands. Well, it's just a crazy time right now. Just a crazy time right now. Oh, it's just, it's just, things are a little bit chaotic now, but once things settle, then I will take God's, no, for sure, once things settle, then I will get in order. Let's say you're married. Your marriage is struggling. You may be tempted to take matters into your own hands. God is commanding you to trust, to work, and to wait. You may be tempted to take matters in your own hands, say enough is enough. I've trusted, I've waited, I've worked, enough is enough. Matters into my own hands. Easy to blame Abraham, easy to blame Sarah. But maybe we fall into the same area as they do. What are you trying to control? Abraham and Sarah, this is what they were trying to control. Next verse, we see what Abraham does. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah, again, kicking and screaming, I'm sure. Abraham heeded the voice of his wife, Sarah. Then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, to be his wife. So he went into her. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw, and when she, this is Sarah, saw that she, Hagar, had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Long story short, won't get into all the details, but let's just say Abraham and Sarah's plan didn't work. Their plan of we're going to build a family this way, their plan of everything's going to go peachy keen this way didn't work very long. What happened is Sarah said, okay, take Hagar. Hagar goes in to Abram, and she conceives. Now, all of a sudden, she starts to flaunt her stuff a little bit because now I'm the one who bears him a child, okay? And yeah, you can cook stuff, okay, and you can do stuff, but I'm the one who brought the child. So now Sarah, not too happy with that. She's flaunting this and that, and they start to have a little stuff between them. Eventually, God gives Sarah a child, okay? So now there's Ishmael, child of, of Hagar, and there's Isaac, child of of Sarah. So now they each have a child, but now there's real drama between the two children. Because now every time Sarah baked brownies, Ishmael eat all the brownies because he's older. And every time Sarah buys him a new toy, Ishmael break that toy. And it eventually leads to the point where Sarah says, it's either me or her. She's got to go. She can't stay if I'm going to stay. And their boy of hers can't stay either. And they get sent out. They get sent out. They become like nomads for a little bit. Eventually, Ishmael is, becomes the father of a nation. Okay, the Arabs, Muhammad, the Muslims, came from Ishmael. Isaac becomes the father of the Jews. Okay, Moses, people of God come from there, including the Christian lineage comes from there. And today, not to oversimplify the situation, but today, you have two groups of people in the holiest place ever on this planet. The most significant place historically on planet Earth. The most significant place historically on planet Earth. And you'll never have peace in that area. Why? Because you have this group and this group fighting. And I'm telling you, if you want to go back and see where did it start, it started because Abraham and Sarah decided to take matters into their own hands. If you need a reason to let go of your control freakness, this is why. You don't want to end up with the Middle East in your living room. <laughs> Which is the inevitable result of taking matters into your own hands. The inevitable result of taking matters into your own hands is destruction, not solution. So let me ask you this question. Who or what are you struggling to control? Are you trying to control? Who or what? What relationship? What your kids, your finances, your job, your career? Who or what are you trying to control? And the same 
So the other side of that same coin is the same question. Who or what are you struggling to trust God with? Your career, your relationship, your kids, your spiritual life. Who or what are you trying to control? Like I said in the beginning, every one of us is a control freak in some area. Who or what are you saying, I know God promised, but you know what? I need to take matters in my own hands. Because you know what? There's a verse in the Bible, maybe, that says God helps those who help themselves. Okay, you've ever said that? God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible anywhere. That's your control freak struggling to trust God. I just got to take control of the situation because God wants me to, and God needs me to. And you know what, God? You gave it a best shot, but let me give it a try right now. What are you struggling to control? Or what are you trying to control? What are you struggling to trust God with? The two are the same. How are we going to solve this issue? How are we going to solve this issue of control? You would think, okay, especially the control freaks, you're thinking right now that I wouldn't be such a control freak. Watch how backwards your logic is, okay, because I know what you're thinking. I wouldn't be such a control freak if I had more control. That's what you're thinking right now. I wouldn't worry so much about my kids if they just did what I told them to do. I wouldn't worry so much about my career if it just happened exactly the way I wanted it to happen. I wouldn't need to be in such control if I just had more control. Sounds funny when I say it, but it sounds much more logical in your head, doesn't it? That's why I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. You're not going to believe me at first. You're going to resist. You're going to kick. You're going to scream. But you're going to trust me on this one. I'm going to explain what I mean. The solution is less control, not more. Sounds backwards, doesn't it? The solution, if you're a control freak, the solution to your need for control is not more control, it's actually less. We said earlier that article from Psychology Today said there's an uncertain world, me trying to make it certain. Uncertain world, me trying to make it certain. That's why I have anxiety, that's why I have stress, because these two are at odds. I can either change the uncertain world and make it certain, or I can change myself to accept the uncertainty. Who thinks you're going to be successful to make an uncertain world certain? Who thinks that every relationship is going to go exactly the way you want it? Your career is going to go exactly the way you want it. The market's going to go exactly the way you want it. The politics and the world and the healthcare all is going to go exactly the way you want it. That the people around you go exactly, that the traffic on 495 is going to go exactly the way you want it. Trying to make the uncontrollable controllable, the uncertain certain, is a recipe for disaster, as Abraham just showed us. I need to change myself not change my environment. And I need to learn how to accept less control, not get more of it. You see, as scary as that sounds, to say life, I don't have control. I'm going to change it something. And I'm going to say there's a difference between life is out of control and life is out of my control. And the two are not the same. I believe that life is outside of my control, but I do not believe that life is outside of control. That life can be in perfect control without being in my perfect control. And that's what we have to learn how to do. A couple of verses right here. Daniel chapter 4 verse 17 says, The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The Most High is sovereign. You know what sovereign means? Sovereign means king, means ruler, means in control, means nobody breaks my law, means that anyone, anywhere, I am in full reign over this area. Sovereign Word reign comes from sovereign. Next verse, Lamentations 5.19. You, O Lord, remain forever. Your throne from generation to generation. I could have brought you 15, 20 more verses on this theme, but I stopped it too. As long as I believe that God 
sits on his throne, life is not out of control. It may be out of my control, and it is out of my control, but it is never out of control. Out of control means that the seat is vacant. Means that if you looked up in the heaven and you saw the throne, you would see it empty or a be back after lunch sign. But I believe that if you look up in that throne, you would see the king, not sweating a bullet. Full control. Because he is the king and he is sovereign. His throne lasts forever. There's a church word that we use for that. If you hear it in the liturgical prayers, it's the word pantocrator. Pantocrator. It's a Greek word. Pantocrator. It's a great word. Pantocrator. Four syllables. Pantocrator. Anytime you can use a four-syllable word, you know you're smart. Pantocrator means, okay, sometimes we translate it to almighty, but it's not the best translation for it. The best word for pantocrator, it means the controller of all. This picture right here, this is an icon. The pantocrator looks just like this. I love this picture. It says, it sees Jesus sitting on his throne. And what's that thing in his left, left hand? What's that thing in his left hand? It looks like the earth is not the earth. It's the entire world. Earth being just a small part of it, okay, but depicted as a globe, but yeah. It's the entire world, entire world, of which the earth is just a tiny little piece of it. The entire earth's a tiny little piece of that ball right there. And what's that ball? Well, that's nothing, okay? The ball, here's the world, right there. There's Jesus, right there. There's the ball, right there. That's the whole world. Do me a favor. Find yourself and your big problem on that little ball. Do it like Google Earth, okay? Like scroll down and go down and find where your problem, the uncontrollable situation of your life, find me the situation that is total chaos. Find me where it is on that ball and point to it. Draw a circle around it and show me how big it is. It ain't even a piece of his little fingernail. Because we don't believe that the world is out of control. We believe that the world is in the perfect control of the loving hands of the one who controls all. Now, with that said, with that said, before we get too far in this, I am not, by saying God is in full control, negating our free will and our ability to make choices. Our free will and God's sovereignty are not contrary to one another. They are perfectly fitting with one another. And sometimes, in an effort to not go against free will. We don't want to even get to the idea of like predestination and like God, you know, forces. We, we don't, we're so afraid of that that we go too far on the other side of making it that God has no control. So we need to keep these two in balance, okay? The man has free will, but God is sovereign. The man has the ability to make choices, but God is always in full control. I'll give you one analogy. I could give you many of them, but just one dumb one, and it's not perfect, but it, it maybe teach the lesson. Think of a teacher in a classroom. Okay, so here I am. I'm the teacher in the classroom and I sit here on my desk and it's free play and the kids are playing. And little Joey just stole the toy from little Jimmy. Okay, at any moment in time, I could stand up, I could take the truck and I could smash Joey on the head with him. I could take it from him, I could kick him out of the car, I could do whatever I want, but I don't do that. I sit here and I let them make their own free choices. Knowing at any time, I can intervene. And you know what? At times I will intervene. At times I will. Because he takes that truck and he's got to poke a pencil in the eye. I'm going to step in there. And at times I intervene to protect. At times I intervene to guide. At times I intervene. But I let them make their own decisions. And I sit on my throne. Am I in control or not in control? I'm in control. Are they have free will or not free will? They have free will. They'll be held accountable to their free will by the guy in control. But you see where I'm going with this. I have many other analogies in a similar way. So don't, 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 don't try to pin the two against one another. God is in control. Man has free will. What I'm trying to say when I say God is in control, I mean, I want to give you two like very specific takeaways 
okay, that you can, if you're a control freak, freak, control freak like me, that you can take these two and you can really make them personal for you. The first one is say this and say this and remind yourself of this and write this down if you struggle with, with, with trusting God. God is in control. I can trust him with the details of my life. God is in control. I can trust him with the details of my life. Yes, I have free will. And yes, I'm making choices. But what I want you to see and remind yourself of, this truth is so liberating if you could get this, is the world is not moving randomly. The world is not moving in a chaotic way. There is a driver on the bus is what I'm trying to say. It may seem like you're in the back of the bus and it's just chaos and the bus is just going here and there. Someone is driving the bus of your life. And God is directing certain things in your life. He gives you free will. But there's a method. There's a, there's a plan. There's a, he's trying to get you somewhere. It's not all a series of random haphazard events. What do I mean by that? Let me give you, I, I try to think of an example. And there was one example that, that really stuck out to me. As soon as I said, I'm going to draw a picture, like a, a personal picture, of how I feel like I can trust God with the details of my life. And believe it or not, I asked my wife last night, because I wanted to come up with two examples, okay? Because when I was preparing this, I was saying, I need two examples for this. And I came up with this one example, super easy. And I tried to come up with a second one. I couldn't. I asked Marianne last night, give me an example where you could see the hand of God in the details of your life. And she automatically said this one example. Okay, so I got two people saying the one example. So I'll talk about it double the length. The year was 2010. Back then, right, Marianne is with Marianne's job. Marianne, I was back then I was working I was, I was serving at uh, St. Mark's Church out in Fairfax, right? But I really felt for a while that God was calling me to do something like this, right? It was nothing bad or anything like that, but I just felt like God had always gifted me and called me to take an ancient faith to a modern world. Like, that's always what I felt, okay? And, and, and I really wasn't, you know, I didn't feel like God wanted me to serve in a traditional church forever and ever and ever. And I was just feeling this, but I didn't know what to do. At the time... Marianne had just switched jobs. The reason that she switched jobs, okay, that's a nice way of saying, is that she lost her job before. But the reason she lost her job, because her boss, which was me, because she was working at the school, let her go. We had to make some cuts. And we had to shrink a little bit. We had to let go of some staff. And I, okay, and I'll be the first one I said it, I can never let go of you and then leave my wife working there. Like, I can never affect your family and just, like, couldn't do that. So I let my wife go. Okay, and she still claims it was unfair. Okay, and she's still seeking, you know, damages or whatever it may be. Up until that time, her career had always been in, like, the education field. And she'd be working, like, teacher or things like that. So we thought automatically she'd start looking for a teacher job. But she couldn't get a teacher job. And everything was closed. Nothing teacher job. Nothing teacher job. Long story short, she ended up getting an email or from whatever, from the monster or whatever these, these, these things are, from a company called MicroStrategy. Right, which is a business intelligence company, which to this day, neither I, I don't even she, knows what business intelligence is. <laughs> they came after her and they offered her a job and she got a job. And that job was considerably higher income than we had ever been used to, okay? Which is a very nice surprise. But what, what does that have to do with anything? At that time, like I said, God had put this vision in me about the church. When she got that job, I knew right away that God gave us that job as a chance to be able to take a step of faith, because leaving a big church, starting a new church, like for like priesthood, like that you get your income from the church. Okay, so that was like a step of faith, like financially. And I was ready, willing to make it, but of course her having that job was like the push out the door. So what I'm trying to say is, we wouldn't be here today 
STSA wouldn't be here today unless God gave her a job that she had never been looking for. And I say this with all my love and respect, that she wasn't qualified for it. Okay. <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way, okay? Listen to what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we had no part of that. Like, I'm not saying our free will was taken away. Marianne had to show up for the interview. Marianne had to prepare what's a micro-strategy. Okay, Marianne had to, had to get a good night. Like, she had to do her part, and she could have blown the whole thing. But what I'm trying to show you is, is here we are, and we don't know where we're going, God, and we feel God, and God is like, okay, don't worry. Push you in this direction. And he opens a door over here. And God is so sweet. God is, like, we make God to be the pentacrator, and we make it to mean, like, like, like he's in charge of, like, the planet's not colliding. Good job, God. We trust you with that. We trust you to make sure that the atmosphere is just enough, you know, O2 and CO2 and, and, and W2O and whatever it may be, like, just enough of that stuff. And we trust you, God, to make sure that the clouds and the volcanoes and all, we trust God with these things. But what I'm saying is, God, in the little details of life, you know why? Because God is Father. Because God is Father. And as a father, if you have a father, you know this. A father, people ask me, does God care about the little details? As a father, I care about everything. And I, if my children will ask me, I have an opinion even on the dumbest of things, because I'm a dad. And if you will sit there and listen to me, I will give you my opinion on any subject in the whole wide world, even if I don't know anything about it. And God, when he said he's our father, doesn't mean he just cares about planets. And, and, and oxygen, and doesn't just care about, like, make sure you go to church. Don't kill anyone. All right, get back to me next Sunday. God is Father. God cares about little details. And God cared about this dumb little priest over here, who I want him to do this, but he's struggling. And I know he's just trust, and I'll take care of the finances. Like, I know, but I know that Father Anthony, like, he's spiritual. Like, he's a little guy, so I'm going to help him out. And I'm going to throw him a bone. I'm going to say, watch, I'm going to do it for your wife. And I'm sure God is like, you see, God is guiding us. My life is not out of control. My life is out of my control, but it's not out of control. My life is perfectly in the hands of the control of the one who controls all. You know, and I was asking Marianne about this last night. You know what she said? She said that her prayer at this time, her prayer at this time was when she was looking for a job. Her prayer, like this is where I tell you, Marianne's, okay, she something good here. She said, God, I don't care. And you know that we don't care. But she said, because of your name, I told everyone that you were going to provide for our family. That's what she would say. I told everyone that you're going to provide. So if I don't get a job, it's not going to make me look bad. It's going to make you look bad. <laughs> God cares about the little things. My life is not out of control. It's not out of my control, but it's not out of control. Don't you ever forget that. Show you how much my life is in God's control. Matthew 10, verse 29. God cares about big things or little things. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. I don't think God, I don't think Jesus, when he's saying this, is giving like a statement about the value of sparrows. Saying each one's worth approximately, exactly a half a penny. He's talking about the little details. And he goes on to talk about even a smaller detail. He says, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Look at that. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. We are not here alone. We are not here left to fend for ourselves. We are not just thrown down to this earth and say, good luck, make it to heaven by the time you die. We are not, we are sheep under the watchful eyes of a loving shepherd who never leaves us 24 seven because our names are engraved in the palm of his hand. We are little chickens that the mother hen is always trying to gather under her wing. 
and take care of. And don't you ever forget that. There's never a moment in time. There's never a moment in time, no matter how chaotic your life seems, no matter how everything just seems out of control, there's never a time where your life is out of control of the hands of one who controls the entire universe. And I'm telling you, if you get this, trust me on this one. Trust me on this one. If you get this, it is so freeing. I don't need to control the world. I don't need to figure out what's going to happen after Marianne finishes this job because I know God's got something better. I don't need to figure out where I'm going to be 10 years from now because I know God's got to figure it out. I don't need to figure out what's going to happen next week and what's going to happen. You know, sometimes even like I always think with my schedule, like some weeks, a thousand people say, I need to meet with you this week. Some weeks, no one says anything. That's in the hands of God. God controls. My life may be out of my hands, but it's certainly not out of the hands of the one who controls all. That's good news, if you can accept it. Now, some of you, you can see it from the look on your faces, like you're trying, and you're saying like, yeah, you know what, like Father Anthony, I wanna get there, but how do I get there? Like I can accept it here, but how do I accept it here? Like how do I really trust God with my kids? I, so, I worry about my kids all the time. How do I really trust God with this marriage? Because it's a disaster. How do I trust God that I'm even going to get married? Because right now, the way it's going, I haven't had a date in so long, and people are starting to set me up with people who just need a green card. Like, I'm, well, how, do, how do I trust God, really trust God? Well, let me ask you a different question. Let me ask you a completely different question. Forget about the subject of trust God. Let me ask you a question. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Yes, you trust me. You trust me? You sure about that? <laughs> the answer should be, depends what you're talking about. I'm preaching the Bible. You trust me? You say, I trust you. I'm counseling you on, you know, life advice. Okay, I trust you. I, you know, my kid is, you know, needs help with basketball. Okay, I trust you. How about I say, you trust me to cut your hair? Give you a haircut? Ladies, anyone? Trust me to pull your teeth, wisdom teeth, anyone? Trust me to do a colonoscopy, anyone? Colonoscopy? The answer is it depends what we're talking about. Some things I trust you, some things I don't trust you. You trust me to fly an airplane as your pilot, knowing that I either vomit or pass out on every airplane that I get on? You trust me to teach your kid, tutor your kid advanced differential calculus, knowing that even to, th that to this day, I still don't know if my teacher, when, when I learned that in high school, spoke English or not spoke English. The answer is, it depends. You trust me in things that you've seen me, heard me, experienced me having some expertise in. In some areas, you say, thank you, no thank you. Because there's no expertise there. There's no experience there. You trust God or you don't trust God. It depends what we're talking about. Trust God to make the sun rise in the morning? Yep. Done it every day of my life. Trust God to keep the plans from colliding? Yep, no problem. Trust God to take care of... Uh, of, you know, the big things in life, make sure that gravity doesn't give it at any moment. Yep, trust God for gravity. Trust God with your marriage? Uh, it hasn't really come through. Trust God with your relationships? Dating? Uh, I mean, I want to. Like, I trust him in, like, a big way, but his track record... Uh, You heard me preach, 
you say, I trust you to preach. You heard me give advice, you say, I trust you to give advice. You never see me fly an airplane, I don't trust you to fly an airplane. You don't even want to see me give a colonoscopy, you say, I don't trust the colonoscopy. The more experience you have with me, the more you trust me. Agree? How do we increase in trust with God? How do I get to the point where I say, I trust God with everything? You've got to increase your experience with him. You've got to increase your experience with him. Why do we read the Bible? Why, do you have to, why should you read the Bible? What's the benefit of reading the Bible? Father Anthony, i got problems. i got a problem with my marriage. i got a problem with my job. i got a problem with my boss. i got a problem with my kids. I don't have time to read the Bible. What's the Bible going to tell me? A little story about, do you not murder? What's that have to do with anything? You need to read the Bible. You need to read the Bible because you need experience with God. You need to read the story of Abraham and Sarah and see that this relationship with God thing didn't get invented last week. That God has been around and people have been around. They've been relating to God. And when I see Abraham weak and then how he became strong, I say, you know what? That encourages me. When I see Moses, we talked about two weeks ago, and say, I'm not enough. I'm like, you know what? I understand that. Like, I can put myself in Moses' shoes. And then I see how Moses stepped out of there. And because he stepped out, God had a great plan for him. How am I going to trust God more if I have no experience with God? If I don't get together with other godly people and share experiences and say, hey, you know what? Tell me. This is what I'm struggling with. Tell me. You ever been in that same situation? You say, yeah, you know what? I've been there. Like, this is what life in the church is all about, that we learn from one another's experience. But let me tell you one thing in particular, one particular habit, okay, that if you can get this, if you can get this, you're going straight to the top as far as trusting God and not being a control freak. It's based on this verse, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. That's a commandment. Do not murder. Do not lie. Do not steal. Do not be anxious. It's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. St. Paul gives us a formula. He gives us a commandment and then a formula. The commandment is, what's the commandment? Say it with me. The commandment is, be anxious for nothing. No, everyone all together. The commandment is, be anxious for nothing. That's a commandment. Then he gives us a formula of how to implement it. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to turn worry into prayer. Turn worry into prayer. We're not going to stop worrying. That's the biggest mistake that you can make. If you say, you know what? I'm not going to worry about my kids. I'm not going to worry about my future. I'm not going to worry about this relationship. Saying I'm not going to worry is like saying I'm going to hold my breath till I'm blue in the face. You're going to explode or die. Don't say I'm not going to worry. Say I'm going to turn worry into prayer. Right now, if I were to take a survey of who in this room is anxious about something, everyone could fill out something. Everyone has something that they're worried about. Everyone has something they're anxious about. Hopefully you don't, but most likely you do. And my question to you, think about the thing that you're anxious about. What value does that anxiety provide to your life? How is your life better because that, like, make a case for me. Say, you know what? I was really struggling, but then I started worrying, and my life is much better now. The situation is fully under control thanks to my worry. Worry, I, I mean, at a minimum, has no effect. I will make the case that it has a very negative impact. That your ability to be successful at work is, is, is directly impacted by your anxiety at it. Same within relationships especially. Same with your kids. Your kids can smell the anxiety on your breath. And they can tell that you feel like they're not good enough. And that you're always comparing them. They can smell it and it makes them feel insecure about themselves because of your insecurity. They can smell it. 
Worry doesn't help you at work. Worry doesn't help you in relationships. Worry doesn't help your health to improve. Worry does not get you a date. Worry does not get you out of a date. Worry doesn't help nothing. But you know what does? Is prayer. Can worry change my loved one's health situation? No. Can prayer? Can worry change the situation at work? No. Can prayer? What we're going to do is we are going to take, okay, we're going we're gonna, to, we're gonna, like a boomerang, okay? Here comes that worry coming at me like a freight train, and I'm not going to try to stop it, okay? Because I'm not Superman, and I can't stop the freight train of worry. And some of us are trying, and we're losing, and that's eventually going to run us over. I can do that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just do like, 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 the, like the, the roadrunner would do, and I'm just going to spin it back around on Wile E. Coyote. That's what I'm going to do. Come at me with worry, okay? Turn it back in prayer. My kids are a disaster. My kids are the worst. Please, God, help my kids not to be a disaster. Help my kids not to be the worst. I don't know what I'm doing with my future. Please, God, help me in my future. See that? So now, every time devil throws worry at me, in your face, back at you with prayer. If we turned 50%, of our worries into prayer. 50% of the time we spend worrying into prayer, if we turn that time to prayer 50%, most of us, our prayer life would expand by a quantity of 10 times. You know what prayer does? Okay, think of this in terms of like his will, my will, his control, my control. Prayer, God gives me the keys to my life. I have free will, I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want in my life. I can right now, I can throw, I, I can do whatever I want. Prayer is when I say, here you go, God. He don't force me to do it. Free will. I can drive. But prayer is when I say, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. That's what Jesus did in the, in the garden, isn't it? It's when I stand up and say the Lord's Prayer and I say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I say, Here, God, is the keys to my life. I'm in full control. I'm in control. I can do whatever I want. You gave me free will. I give control to you. Often we live in fear. Our life seems out of control. Maybe, 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 maybe the solution is not to have more control, but actually less control. Because you know what? I've gotten the conclusion in my life, and I say this to people all the time. Truth, truth from my heart, not from my notes, from my heart. I'm not afraid of losing control in my life. I'm actually af afraid of having control. I'm not afraid of losing control in my life. I'm afraid of having control. Because my track record, and I bet you yours isn't too much different. And that the areas that I control the most are probably what I mess up the most. And I'm not worried. I'm not worried that my life is out of control. I'm actually worried the exact opposite. When I see my life is too much under my control, that's when I get worried. Because that's what's scary stuff. Last verse. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with what? With all your heart. All your heart. Don't just trust him with the spiritual things, but trust him in all things. Trust him with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and you trust that he shall direct your paths. Believe it or not, the older that I get, the more I realize that there's more and more that is out of my control than you think. There's more and more that is out of your control than you think. When we're young, we tend to think we control the whole thing. The older you get, the more you realize there's a lot of factors where you were born, who your parents, the gifts that you were born with. I'm telling you, if you're married, you don't even control where you're going to lunch today. There's more of your life that is out of control than is in your control. And it's time for us to embrace that, not resist it.
We are going to remind ourselves, number one, that my life may be out of my control, but it is not out of control. That the Pantocrator, the sovereign, cares about the littlest details of my life because he's my father. He doesn't control them, but he cares. And I can bring his control into my life even better, take control out of my hands into his by turning my worry into prayer. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what we are going to do. What we are going to do, remember I said the throne earlier, God on his throne? Well, some of us, okay, are like trying to inch God out of the throne, being like, just get over it. Trying to inch him out. You know what we're going to do? If that's us, we're going anarchy today. We're declaring war on ourselves. We are saying we need to kick ourselves out of the seat and let God sit on his throne and be in full control because that's the only way, the only way to overcome our need for control. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you from the depth of our heart that you don't leave us alone in this world, chaos, and just like leaving us alone to fend for ourselves. Thank you that you care about even the hairs on our head. You, O oh Lord, will never leave us alone. Help us, Lord, to see you working in our lives, not to resist you, not to try to take control from you, not to do like what Abraham and Sarah and say, take matters into our own hands. But Lord, let us learn what it means to truly let go, to put the keys in your hands and to trust in you and to say, not my will be done, but your will be done. I pray, Lord, that you would be sovereign in every area of our lives and you would give us the peace which surpasses all understanding from trusting in your sovereignty. We pray these things in the name of your Son, the prayers of all your saints, here as we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.